0: Today, I have the honor of speaking with Mukasa Dada, formerly known as Willie Ricks of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Listen as he shares with us his incredible experiences during the Civil Rights Movement as he takes us on a walk through history. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Good. So tell me a little bit about um, your life growing up before you got involved with the Civil Rights Movement.
1: Uh, I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. My parents was from North Alabama, and they lived in an area. Uh, my father lived in an area called Rix's. All the white people named Ricks, and all the Africans were named Ricks. And you know how we got our name. Uh, Rick, man named Ricks, bought us off the slave ship in Jamestown, Virginia, and carried us to North Alabama. All the Uh, they converted all their slaves to uh, the Church of Christ. And my family grew up singing hillbilly songs in church. And my parents picked cotton and worked in the cotton fields and um, later moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I used to travel back to Alabama and pick cotton and chop cotton when I was a young man, worked from six in the morning to six at night, and you made uh, three dollars a day. They called it you work from can't to can't Can't see in the morning till you can't see at night. And we got them three dollars and what have you. And you were advised to say yes, sir, to all the white people and and go in the back doors and those kinds of things there and that uh, those are, that's the kind of life they lived in Alabama and probably Chattanooga, Tennessee also. And then uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I went to school with all of my friends when I was a little boy in elementary school. Every morning before school, I got a whipping because I was a minute late I had a sister that walked real slow and we had to walk through the woods and I wouldn't walk off and leave her. So when I got to school, they beat me in the morning, every morning, started my day off. Mm. And then uh, <clears throat> I stayed in, where well, I was in school and uh, by the time I was in the fifth grade, I had very, very bad eyesight and that uh, they didn't know it. And uh, they flung me in the fifth grade, flung me in the sixth grade and then um the later I had a- tw- I have a twin sister, and I passed me to the seventh grade and I went to another school and in this other school uh, by the time I got there, I was not interested in no classroom kinds of stuff, so I started uh, just run doing different things and then um I quit and went to the streets and hung out in the streets and what have you. And later I um, got a job waiting tables and serving white people. And uh, I remember once I worked 93 hours and that was some work serving those tables and made $63. I said, Man, I went to the manager and said, Wait, well, hey, we worked all this and we supposed to make more money. He said, Yeah, but what would the owner think if I gave some niggas more money than this? I said, Yes, sir. And uh, thank you, sir. And I went back in the hotel from being a nice little guy. I went back in the hotel. And I used to serve alcohol to the guests uh, when we have a party. And from that day on, I served one bottle of alcohol for the guests and I would steal one bottle. And I made up my salary from taking out the hotel. I thought I had a hotel down the street because I had half of the hotel down, down the street where I stashed my
0: stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, then while i was in the hotel they introduced me to the pool hall my friends worked in there and went to the pool hall and i started hanging in the pool hall and stayed there a long time and that uh had a great time in that shoot pool and what have you and then shortly uh during that time by the time uh my sister got to the 12th grade I started going to school every day, from back over in the morning until evening. I was not a student, but everybody thought I was, including the administration. So I was there every day, and that uh, shortly during that time, uh, the city movement started mm-hmm. uh, at Raleigh, North Carolina. <clears throat> Some students. Uh, went and sit down in the white uh, area of uh, what we call the cent store, Woodwork. And when they sit there, they were put in jail. And when they put them in jail, a movement emerged, students from all over the South and began to support that and demonstration they would leave and walk off their school and go down to the nearest white uh public restaurant and sit down and ask for food ask for coca-cola what we mostly ask for coca-cola or hamburger <laughs> we probably couldn't afford that <laughs> and uh, but the movement kicked off from there and and it grew now at that time Remember, you had to go in the back doors. You couldn't try on clothes downtown. Uh, black uh, African uh, could not uh, uh, try on clothes and we could not uh, ring cash registers. Um, you supposed to say yes sir to the white folks, all kind of stuff like that. And that uh, they didn't pave our community. Dr. King used to like to say, where the pavement ends, the black community began. Uh, we called it across the tracks. And that's where you could see the difference in the living of people. We lived in shacks with no basic outhouses and, and had wells here and there. But uh, those that was basic across the South. And that now the sit-in movement kicked off. When the sit-in movement kicked off, uh, students all over began to sit sit in, and I uh, be, uh, was uh, my sister. Knows were at Howard High, and I was there with them. So we began to rouse the students up and say that we're going down there and we're gonna sit uh, at this restaurant. And we went down to the Cresses, they called it. And we sit down, it was about 10, 12 of us, and we were attacked by a mob of people. And they, them white boys, beat us up. We had to fight to get out, but we fought. And that, uh, they bagged us up to an area called Ninth Street. And that was the back door of the, of the, of the building was right across from where the, our community was. So we made it out and we bagged up to 9th Street and we began to, they threw a few balls, and we threw a few back, but we said we'll be back tomorrow and the next day, the word got out and uh, when we, all the students, we had to, when we went at the school, you ride the bus and at uh, downtown, that's where you change bus to go to our area. And we got all the students came and everybody went downtown and back them days. The, uh, uh, Coca-Cola was a little glass bottle, so everybody bought them a Coca-Cola. What did it have something to throw in the fight? Mm-hmm. And that uh, we went downtown and uh, the whites met us there and it was about maybe a couple of thousand of us, uh, hundreds of us, and hundreds of them, and we went downtown breaking windows and and what have you, and and uh, we had we had a a, a fight, and then uh, we backed up down to the community where we live, it was called Ninth Street, the main African community, Black community street, and we backed up there. We uh, <clears throat> the police came, fire trucks came, we threw bricks and balls at the fire truck, and um, a police tried to attack, tried to arrest, or attack somebody, and that uh, and when they attacked someone, tried to attack us, we started throwing bricks at them. And the police got hit, oh, I think about 50 bricks might have hit him. And he pulled out his gun and started shooting and shooting in the air. He didn't hit us, but he started shooting. And that, uh, so Chattanooga was the first city to go up, uh, uh, uh sit-in movement to go up in rebellion, go up into what we call riots. So we fought. And then... Um, Uh, Shortly after then, when we did that, we made national uh, headlines that we were fighting and Dr. King and his staff and NAACP and all these people, they rushed to Chattanooga to have a meeting with us to teach us about nonviolence, Mm -hmm. which didn't make sense to me at that time. And that they had a meeting in the church where all the students came and uh, the uh, civil rights leaders were there, some of them, and they gave us a lesson in nonviolent. So when they spit on you, uh, hit you in your face, uh, you don't fight back. And then they had one man there who gave us the demonstrations and he was slapping us and saying, don't be, you know, be nonviolent, don't hit back. And I said to this man, I was sitting in the crowd, I said, let me slap you. And he said, come. He tried to embarrass. Said, oh, come, you can slap me. And I went up there. Somebody said, Don't go, you trying to embarrass. I don't care. I went up there and I slapped that poor man. It looked like his head spun around. But from that day on, I used nonviolence. And I uh, and shortly after then, Dr. King told me, say, uh, and his staff said that a new organization is being formed and it's just all the students that's demonstrating and protesting are coming together and they're coming together to form a a, a youth group or organization. And, um, we don't want you in my organization because your reputation is so, uh, uh, strong with being a raparizer that we feel you'd probably be better in SNCC. So Dr. King called, uh, and him and C.T. Vivian called uh, uh, this group, SNCC had just formed, and they called this group and said we have this dynamic person. They gave me a good, good. So when I got to SNCC, I had been recommended by uh, CT and Martin. And that, uh, so they had a meeting in Raleigh, North Carolina, where they formed the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And it was a lady by the name of Ella Baker that pulled everybody together and, matter of fact, she talked Dr. King out of $850 <laughs> to finance the meeting. And when Martin came to the meeting, he wanted um, us to be a nonviolent, uh, but a youth group for SCLC. But Ella Baker suggested to the students, you don't want to be. Uh, uh uh under this group you don't want to be under these preachers dr king and ralph abernathy and all these preachers you don't want to be under them she had worked with them in montgomery and she said they were chauvinists and that uh you didn't want to work under them you want your own personality so from that we started the student Nonviolent violent coordinating committee students and we were going to use nonviolent tactics and we were going to coordinate what we do and we saw ourselves as a committee student nonviolent coordinating committee and the student nonviolent coordinating committee was formed and once we formed the student nonviolent coordinating committee we took the student, got us a little office in atlanta and then we took every all the different groups that came we sent them different areas of the south some went to different areas of mississippi alabama south georgia south carolina and what we said we would do we would every town that we go in we would find the local leadership if they didn't have local leadership we would help create it and we would create a local organization for the people and our style of leadership, we would not be the leaders, but the people that we would bring into the organization in each little town, we would form an executive committee and they would be the leaders and we would be the advisors. And then we would form youth groups and we formed these youth groups and they would be the shock troops. The one that marched, demonstrate and protest, even though the elder people, the grown people would demonstrate March at different times also. But the movement was born, when we went to Albany, Georgia, we formed the Albany Movement. And it was made up of great people. Uh, Charles Sherrod was the leader there, or was the SNCC person there. And then we created local leadership with Dr. Anderson and C.B. King, Slater King, and others. And when we formed the Albany Movement, the, the students at Albany State, they had walked off the campus and went down to the. Bus station and sit down in the front of the bus station in the front of where the white people eat and said they wanted a hamburger or a drink or whatever, and they were put in jail. And when they were put in jail, they were expanded, expelled from school by the black colleges and that. uh we said that uh, since you've been expelled, they said since we've been expelled, we'll be full-time freedom fighters. And that's how SNCC got his staff, because all across the South when the kids would leave these black schools and go sit down uh, in these public places where white people sit, the black schools were basically controlled by white people, and the black uh, uh, presidents and would expel the children from school. So we got a whole SNCC staff by mostly expelled students. And many of them would just quit, say, I wanna be a freedom fighter, and they would quit. So now you have SNCC sending people to different places. In Albany, Georgia, we went there, the kids went to jail. And then we created a movement and it kept marching. And every time we marched, they would put us in jail and put us in jail and meet us with violence and what have you. And then uh, after it got really big, that a lot of people started going to jail and we got real national attention, want to get more, they invited Dr. King to come in. And when Dr. King came in, he would come in and, and they were the preachers So they were style of leadership. Dr. King was the leader. And then all the preachers saw themselves as leaders. SNCC saw themselves as organizers. And that we had organized the people and mobilized them. And that now they get national attention. We brought King in, we brought Martin in. He led March and went to jail and got national attention worldwide. And then there we had conflict. Uh, somewhat because the style of organizing. One, they were the leaders. One organization thought they were the leaders. And then we, we were the and we would say the local people are the leaders. And they had basically the same respect for us as they had for Dr. King. And that, uh, so we march, demonstrate, went to jail. Also, our style of, uh, of, uh, Nonviolence. We said nonviolence is good as a tactic. Dr. King though, said nonviolence was the principle. They wouldn't fight no other way but nonviolence. And we were young and we would go out there and march and they hit us, we take it. Unless they hit us too much, we we ready to throw blows and we would. And if they fought us around the corner, we'd beat the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. and think nothing about it we would read to fight so uh but they saw it as a principle you don't fight back under no circumstances so that was that brought a little difference in us so as we went down through the south uh even in Albany we demonstrated protests and got movements going across the south people sitting in and what have you and that uh we met violence they beat us in Birmingham they put a bomb in the church and bombed the church and killed four little black girls. Uh, the Freedom Rides, where we got on the buses and rode down through the south on the Greyhound bus, a trailway bus, and they would drag us off the bus in Montgomery and beat people really bad. Or when they got to Addison, Alabama, they threw a bomb on the bus, and the bus was on fire, burning and smoke coming out the bus, and they tried to hold the door well, we couldn't get off and suffocate in the bus, and that uh, it was uh, uh, local police and 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 clan uh, and whatever white groups come out, and that uh, even the FBI's were participating with the police and the clan to do this to us. And then when it we went to Montgomery, uh, the same Freedom Ride, they beat people. The people were laying in the streets, I mean, bloody. And that, uh, but we, uh, the people came and gathered us up and took us into their homes. And we had a mass meeting. And at the mass meeting, when we were in the meeting, hundreds of white people gathered around the church. And they were getting ready to uh, attack it or burn it while we were in there. And Dr. King and those called the Justice Department and big Kennedy and all of them to do something because our lives were in danger and that in order to stop them from attacking us in the church, they had to send in federal troops to Montgomery to come to the church and give us protection. And then the bus Freedom Ride bus went on the Mississippi for basic students from the North and South uh, and integrated groups, uh, went down to Jackson and that's where they put the people in the buses in prison. It was in Parchment Prison and the people in the prison was made to work and they work until their hands were bloody. And then they told them, the students told the prison folks, we ain't working no more. And y'all can kill us and do whatever we're going to do. We ain't working. And they put people in solitary confinement and what have you. But then a mass movement out of Nashville and other places, people start coming, coming, coming till we fill the jails up in Mississippi and whatever. And that, uh, but that was the freedom ride. And we were fighting for desegregation. And then we say, since these white folk doing us like this, the chef and the mayor and all these people, and uh, they continue, we ought to register people to vote and vote them out of office. So we sent our organizers that was in Mississippi and South Georgia and Alabama, we see y'all register people to vote. And now you have a direct, we call going to the theaters and, and the city and we call that direct action, the city in movement. And now we're going to register people to vote. And we started going into the rural areas, and areas in cotton fields, telling people to register to vote. And we went into certain areas like in South Georgia, we went into Dawson, into uh, Terra County, into uh, Lee County, Americas, and other areas in South Georgia. We would go to black belt areas and we went to these areas and started trying to register to vote. They took offense to that. And in Albany, in Lee County, Georgia, uh, they came by the house one night and machine gun the house and they Mr. James House. And then the church that we met in and sung our freedom songs and encouraged the people, they burnt the church down burnt one in sasa georgia one on the lee county highway and another one i forgot the name of it and uh and in dawson georgia terror county we call, we call it terrible terror it was so bad uh they would come and throw dynamite on our at our house and blow it and blow it up and some days they would come by if we take two or three people down to register to vote they would Come, they wouldn't ready to make us stand there for hours and wouldn't register us to vote. But tonight, the they would come by the house and machine gun the house and sometimes throw dynamite on the porch. And one of the snake people got shot, Jack Chatfield got shot uh in Dawson, Georgia. And then in Bob Moses and those went to um, Greenwood, the Black Belt of uh, uh, the Delta, Mississippi, and they went down and started trying to register the vote. They were attacked. Uh, One day, uh, Bob Moses and Jimmy Travers were getting in the car. White man came by and machine gunned the car and shot Jimmy Travers in the back of the neck. Came a a fraction from killing him. And then uh, they assassinated Megar Evans. Uh, they assassinated Mr. Damon, came to his house and just started shooting in his house. He put his children and wife out the back, door and held them off with his gun and they threw fire bombs in the house and burned him up in his house. But there were many other, uh, Charlie McParker in Poplarville, but there were many others and SNCC workers that tried to register people to vote. uh, They put three of them in jail, Cheney, Swan and Goodman, put them in jail and then they took them out of jail and went out and, and lynched them, assassinated them, beat them, killed them, cut them up and did all kinds of other things and then buried them under a reservoir. And we had a mass movement and got mass attention because two of them was white and Cheney was a little African boy and that, uh, that brought national attention. But in Mississippi, Uh, like SNCC would always do, it formed uh, when we started trying to register the vote, we we formed a national state organization called the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. And one of the leaders of that, we had a lot of strong African women, but one of the personalities that people know was Fannie Lou Hamer and Ms. Hamer and uh, uh, many, many others, they protest and faced the maximum violence and we challenged the government and everybody else to the violence that we were meeting and that they continued to do it until uh, we forced them. We kept doing different things and John Lewis and those SNCC people, we were operating in about a hundred different cities at the same time. So in any... In, 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 In any given area, we had 100 people uh, uh, in different areas marching, demonstrating, trying to register people to vote, and facing jails, filling the jails up, going to jails daily, and what have you. And those things were happening. And then uh, one thing that brought a lot of attention, we helped create the Dallas County Uh, voters' movement uh, in Dallas County, uh, Alabama, which was known as Selma, Alabama. And John Lewis and we, SNCC, had been there. And then we invited, or they invited Dr. King and SCLC to come and give attention to what was going on in Selma. Because wherever Dr. King came, the press came and brought attention to what we were doing. And that uh, they came there and, when Dan Lewis and Jose Williams and other SNCC people and other SCLC people and, and the local people of, of uh, Selma, they decided to have a march. And they said that they were, because we met all kind of violence in, in Selma, it was very brutal, very dangerous, and very scary in terms of living a dying. Whenever you left home, you, you never knew, in most of these places, you never, when you look back, you would say to yourself, will I ever see this house again or see my friends again? That's how dangerous it was. So John Lewis and those decided to walk from 50 miles from Selma to Montgomery to protest the fact that we didn't have the right to vote and we were facing violence and being beaten and even killed like they killed one of our workers, Jimmy Lee Jackson and that uh, we wanted to bring attention to it. And that uh, we tried to march, but Sheriff Clark and, and, and Al Lingo, state police, they met the march and they want horses with guns and all kind of weapons, and they want horses. And when we tried to march up Highway 80, they ran horses over the people and they beat him and left people with concussions and all kind of other damage. And that uh, John Lewis was one of them, was one with concussion. So he was hurt and they had to take him away and put him in the hospital. Now, in terms of uh, we work voter registration in Tuskegee, Alabama, and one of our workers who had been into the army and the Navy and came back and joined the movement, tried to register people to vote and those kinds of things he one day went into one night went into a bathroom that said at the bus station it was at a gas station bus station he went into that there and to the bathroom they had a sign up said white only they had them all over the south and when uh he went in that bathroom and came out the white owner the Bunch of the gas station shot him in the head with a shotgun. His name was Sammy Young Jr. You could Google that and you'll see his body and all that kind of thing, his history. And then after the Montgomery, I mean, after the the uh, Tuskegee, and then the march to Montgomery, uh, we marched from Selma to Montgomery after they beat John Lewis we had big demonstrations and protests and and what have you and they surround the church and wouldn't let us march they had sent police in the church and beat people up and beating people up in the streets and what have you but we kept coming and finally we marched from Selma to montgomery and when we marched from Selma to montgomery after they had beat us and whatever they uh we embarrassed the country and This was the Democrats at that time down there and especially all over the South and Republicans. They did the same thing and had the same philosophy toward us. They were the same people and that they beat us and what have you. And we got to Dr. King and them march from Selma to Montgomery. And when we got to Montgomery, Dr. King made a speech and Dr. King said in that speech that, uh, his dream, I have a dream speech, uh, has been called a nightmare. And, and not a dream, but a nightmare. And he said, But I still have a dream, and made a great little speech there. And we had moist, a full 500 people to Montgomery. And these people, after Dr. King made his speech, and other people had to get back to their houses. So different people that came from different parts of the country had cars, they gave people rides and took them back to the rural areas where they live. Well, on the way back, uh, this guy who had participated in blowing up the church in Birmingham, killing four little girls, the guy who had participated in throwing a bomb on the bus, blowing up the Freedom Riders, His name was Roa, 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 and also was riding in a car. And uh, a lady named uh, from Detroit um, was driving, and she was a white lady, and she was driving uh, some workers back to the area. And when she was driving the car, Jimmy Jones was in the car where her name was Viola Louzo. And she was driving down the road and the row and the Ku Klux Klan riding together. And he was an FBI agent and uh, worked with the FBI. And he, when they drove by, they drove by Miss uh, Luzo and started shooting in the car, a machine gun in the car, however they did it. And they shot Luzo in the head and uh, the other brother in the car. The car turned over, and he played dead, and they jumped out of the car and ran over there, and they were going to shoot, but they said "Oh, they both of them dead, and they ran back, but Jimmy Jones was playing dead, and he jumped out and had to run through the woods and whatever to find somebody to say that the car had been shot in. And then, after then, we, uh, that was in a county called Lowndes County, And when they went into Lowndes County, uh, it was a very area, 80%, uh, 89% uh, Black people, Africans, uh, lived in the county and had one registered voter. And people lived basically as slaves in very primitive conditions. And uh, they were very violent and, and, and disrespectful toward Black people. They lived under apartheid, under segregation, under colonialism. And they, we decided to go in, Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, and SNCC people um, decided to go into that area. So SNCC, a group of us went there. I think it was Stokely, um, Kwame Ture at that time, Ralph Featherstone, Bob Mance, uh, Courtland Cox, myself, and... Um, some other students, we went there and we started organizing and we started organizing. We tried to get people to register to vote. And when they tried to register to vote, the owners of the plantations that they lived on, put them off the plantation Uh and tried to run them out the county. So we said, don't y'all leave the county. We bought a plot of land and we put them on that land and we put them on that land and told them to stay and you know we would bring them food, whatever. But the people in the community would help them, but they live in tents on that land, it's called Tent City. And when they lived in these tents, they would come down there at night and shoot in the tents. And that we got guns. So we formed an organization. Uh, when we got there, a local organization called the Lowndes County Freedom Organization. And we would be a part similar to the white man's organization, like the Democrats, Republicans, these were white people organization at the time. And we formed our organization and it was gonna fight for the right to vote also. And legally they say you have to have a symbol. They one have a jackass, one have an elephant, and we chose to have a panther. And we chose a Panther for the Kind County Freedom Organization. And we chose a Panther for the Kind County Freedom Organization. The white press began to say, look, they got a Black Panther. They Black Panthers. And like that was supposed to be something bad or bad. Uh, and we said, yeah, we Black Panthers and proud of it. And that uh, we became known as the, that's where the Black Panther Party started. And we became known as the Black Panther Party. And then they would come out there and shoot at us. So we got guns. We go out in the cotton field and start telling people about registering to vote. They come out there shooting at us. So we got us some guns and carbine and M ones and some uh, maybe a shotgun a couple a few pistols and whatever. And we would go out to the cotton field. We carry our gun too. And when 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 boss come out there and start acting crazy start trying to shoot at us we would shoot back or we ride down the road and they jump behind us in their car and start shooting we would start shooting back too, boom 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 and driving them back and that uh, they were extremely violent once uh, people got put in jail for having a little civil rights march uh, speaking out and participating in trying to register people to vote. They put him in jail in Haynesville. Uh, uh, that was a county seat. And when they got out of jail, they were walking down the street and a white man named Coleman uh, come out of his store with a shotgun and laid this shotgun down right in front of a little girl and a Tuskegee student and uh, Jonathan Daniel pushed him out the way. And when he moved a girl like that, the bullet came right at him, a shotgun, and blew his guts out, and killed him. And that, so those, and then, uh, in Selma, where John Lewis and them had been, uh, people came from around the country to help. And two men came out and shot these guys. They, anybody that came and supported the movement, and especially white, they called them nigger lovers, and they killed them quick and that uh, they beat, uh, I forgot the name of of, uh, the uh, guys they beat and killed in Selma, but they did that. And so those are the the atmosphere that the movement lived in. So now we started the Black Panther Party in Lowndes County, Alabama. And it became known because we had guns and we were using violence. And now national attention as a Grouping the civil rights movement with guns, and before there had been another group uh, in Bogalusa, Louisiana, when they when they marched down the street, the uh, the white folk would call them niggers and 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 mess with them, throw rocks at them, and what have you. The men there and women got together and formed a group called Deacons for Defense. And when the children would march on this side of the street singing freedom songs, Oh, freedom, oh, freedom over me, ain't scared of nobody cause I want my freedom. And even had a song say, I love everybody, I love everybody. And they were walking down the street singing those songs and they would throw bricks and balls at them. And so the deacons formed and what they would do when the kids marched down the street singing their freedom songs, They would march on the other side of the street with their guns. And they marched down the street also to protect their children. And that uh, they became known for the Deacon for Defense. And then in Lowndes County, Alabama, we had picked up guns and became known as a group uh, uh, of snake people, uh, snake people that had guns and was willing to fight. Now, up until that point, John Lewis was the chairman. Of SNCC, so after we was in Lowndes County, um, early on, uh, go back a minute when they um, killed Sammy Young Jr., we spoke out against the war in Vietnam, and we um they killed him on the, I think the third or second of. Uh, January and the next day we had a press conference and we had a press conference saying that if a black man can go into the army fight for the United States government and then come back to America and came piss in a bathroom behind a white man we ain't got no business in the army and we opposed the war in Vietnam we officially opposed the war in Vietnam and we called for people to refuse to go into the draft. So now we kicked off the, the uh, anti-war movement and called for people to take into the streets. Now, people that was around Dr. King, they begged him not to speak out against the war in Vietnam, said to him, you're a civil right. Don't don't speak out against that, you civil right. Don't speak out against America. And so those Uncle Tom's that was around him and other kind of pressure that was trying to keep him away from that, but we put thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the streets and the anti-war movement was going very strong. Now, early on, we also, John Lewis, Cleve Sellers, Jim Foreman, and Winky Hall, uh, and maybe one person, another person, uh, we went to the South African embassy, and we knew about Mandela and the apartheid system, a racism, colonial system in South Africa, and how they had our people in slavery in South Africa. And we went to the United Nation, John Lewis, and we kicked the door open of the United Nation of the South African embassy, and we went in there and man, we got in some blows. They started fighting and we started fighting. And they came and put us in jail uh, in New York. And we went to, uh, we was in the frills in New York and uh, Harry Belafonte,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Sidney Poitier mm-hmm. and Miriam Akiba, they are great South African singer. They came and got us out of jail, bailed us out of jail and Miriam Makeba invited us to a concert to gave us ticket to a concert that night and introduced us as, you know, fighting for South Africa. But now we're involved in the anti-war movement and we're now involved in the Africa movement. And now in exposing what was going on in South Africa and we began to look toward Africa. And then by 19... Oh, in the next year, 1966, we're getting into. Uh, after they passed the civil rights bill and then they passed the voters' rights bill, but after many people had been killed and assassinated there, we said uh, some people had the attitude that how are you going to just pass a bill and people being killed? They have fear in them. So James Meredith, who had integrated the University of Mississippi, the first black man to go to the University of Mississippi, integrate the colleges, mm-hmm. uh, went into the school. They had riots. People got killed and whatever. But he became known as being a brother, the first brother to go into the white school. And when he went into these white schools, um, he became known. And then when they passed the civil rights bill, he decided to, he was from Jackson. He decided to go. Walk walked down the streets in Mississippi, I walked through Mississippi with a sign that says, uh, March against fear. Don't be afraid, register to vote. And when he walked out there, a white man shot him in the back with a shotgun. And Dr. King and Floyd McKissick, the Carmichael of SNCC, Floyd McKissick of CORE, Dr. King SELC, Uh, and others, Deacon of the Defense came, and we met at a hotel in Memphis, Tennessee, the same hotel Dr. King, Lorraine died in, uh, and said we were going to carry the march. And we decided to walk 250 miles through the state of Mississippi, uh, telling people to have no fear and to be strong and to register to vote and, and demand our human and civil rights. And we started walking, there was much violence toward us. And uh, on that march, we called for black power. And of course, I had me and Stokely decided we were going to do it. But I was the voice of SNCC in the fields. So I went out and said, we need black power. We need black power. And I was making speeches all over Mississippi with march during the day. And by night they had me sit up in different parts of mississippi miss fannie lou hamer and and different uh, mpl uh not mpla but uh mfdp people would have me in different parts i'll be out there we need black power if we had black power they couldn't kill us they couldn't murder us they couldn't shoot us down like dogs they couldn't blow up our schools we'd be strong enough to defend ourselves we could be up better schools for our people we could feed our people we wouldn't have our houses we wouldn't be working sharecropping. cropping where you work all year long and then at the end of the year the white man tell you you owe him money and don't pay you nothing. Uh, putting our people in the jails and prison. We need Black Power. We are Black. We are strong. And Black Power movement was kicked off. And we kicked off the Black Power movement. We started saying we ain't gonna say freedom now no more. We are gonna say Black Power. And Black Power started getting stronger and stronger. And then some of the Uncle Toms on the march began said, we don't need no black power. We don't need no black. We try to tell them, shut up. We want black power. And Andrew Young and them started doing all they could do to try to keep us from saying black power. We want black power. And then they brought in white people marching with us. We told the white people, go home and organize your white people in your neighborhood, because we're going to carry this black power on. Mm-hmm. And man, um, the white people left the march. And we and martin king and all of us we were on that march together and we were going out in them cotton fields and speaking to people and on the back of trucks at night we were parking different areas and we'd make speeches from the back of the truck and we were saying black power and some of the people didn't want to say black power including dr king he was very liberal of it for a minute but we were saying black power it was shaking the world and that uh What do they mean by this black power? What is this black power? But it shook the world. And then in in, uh, one area, uh, even though Dr. King, we were all fighting together. Uh, Dr. King one night, uh, one day led a march in Philadelphia, Mississippi. And when he led this march in Philadelphia, Mississippi, a white man in a truck ran right through the march and running over people. And the people went crazy. They just started turning the trucks over and fighting in the streets. And they had to get Dr. King out. But uh, then that night after Dr. King got back over here. The white people came into the black neighborhood and started shooting. And that fortunately that we had some young men down there that was waiting on and knew they were probably coming and they shot back. And one of the white people that came over there shooting, I think a couple of them got shot and one was killed. And that night um, in Yazoo City, Dr. King said to me earlier that day, he said, Willie Ricks, that's who I was at that time before I was Mugasa, uh, I want you to introduce me and I'm going to introduce you. I thought that'd be good, Martin. No problem. And that night, uh, we uh, the tension was growing, and I climbed on the back of the truck, and Martin King and Doctor Abernathy and those was his stand was sitting there. And when I got on the truck, and where we make our speeches from, a flatbed truck and what have you, I got on the truck and I walked on the truck and said, Martin. Stuck my hand out, Martin put his hand out, but he sort of snatched it back in a harsh way. I said, what is going on? And his staff was standing back there. They all had gotten mad at Black. They all had gotten mad at Black Power. All of them had gotten mad at Black Power. And when Dr. King made a speech that night, cause I got up and said that, uh, um, when the white people ran over the truck in, 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 in in, uh, Philadelphia and hurt a lot of people and then came in our neighborhood to shoot us. And we shot back. That's black power. We need black power. And, uh, Martin didn't sort of like that. Black power was getting too strong. So Martin made a speech saying, ain't nobody going to make me act like the Ku Klux Klan. Ain't nobody going to make me act like George Wallace. Ain't nobody going to make me act like Hitler. We don't need no red power. We don't need no yellow power. We don't need no white power. We knew where he was trying to come to. And when he got to say, we don't need no black power. But we had all our people standing right in front of him in his face. Black power, black power. So now the tension, the tension was on. And the next city we went up in was uh, Canton, Mississippi. And got to Canton, Mississippi, Dr. King uh, was out. I well, March, right before we got to uh, Canton, we went into a little area a city, and uh, and uh, the, we said that we were going to use the courthouse, and the police blocked the courthouse, and when the police blocked the courthouse, Dr. King said, "Oh, this is embarrassing," and he said, "Where's Ricks? Where's Ricks?" and uh, and he called me, it's "Ricks, get us up on that on that courthouse steps." And I was shocked that he had that respect Mm -hmm. for that. And I said, no problem. I just, come on, baby, we just bum rushed the police and they bagged off. And we bum rushed and took the steps and Dr. King made his speech and whatever. And then we got to, uh, we were uh, getting to another courthouse and uh, the chef said, y'all niggas ain't gonna use this courthouse. I said, we can't use it, we'll burn that damn thing down there. And the sheriff say, nigga, our courthouse is uh, fireproof. I said, we'll blow that mutton, blow <laughs> it up there. And so we had put that attitude and the black power came with that attitude with more military. And then we went on to the next city When we got to uh, Canton, Mississippi. We were out there and that day, Dr. Key was always paranoid of me because he always thought that I had bricks and balls somewhere with a bunch of kids getting ready to throw bricks and balls in the march so he always tried to keep me with him so when we got ready he got ready to go eat dinner uh he asked where's Rick? where's rick come on Rick!" and i remember we all sitting in this ladies house and about seven or eight ladies got together and laid out a great little meal and we all sitting in the living room eating and whatever and uh, uh in there but then that night, um, we got on a on a big truck and we were standing on the bed. And you can look at the movie Eyes on the Prize and look at 1965-66 uh, and you'll see the march. And you'll see when we got to Yazoo City, I mean to Canton, we were all standing on top of a, I think we both put up a tent. And we were all standing on top of a, a truck, right on the bed of it. Dr. King, Stokely Carmack, uh, Jose Williams, and um, Floyd McKissick. And it might have been another person, and myself. And we were standing up there and dr king everybody getting ready to speak and we looked up and there were hundreds of police lying and surrounding the march and dr king said oh man it's getting ready to be a major problem and he called me and jose william up front him and stoke the carmaker and, and and floyd mckissett called us up front and said willy ricks you and jose can't get hurt tonight and you can't go to jail we don't know what's going to happen to us, but if something, something happened, we need y'all outside where you'll be the organizers and the voice for us. So they asked me and Jose Williams to take the leadership if something happened to them. So we had to get off the truck and and back off. And we stood over at somebody's house across the street from the, from the yard and within minutes, they started bombing the uh uh the park where the people were and they bombed the truck where dr king and dr king fell off the truck and that uh when i saw that bombing going off we didn't stay out we just ran back in to the truck and we picked up stoke the Carmichael and dr king it's a picture of me carrying both of them and that uh dr king couldn't see and he was just hurt from all that tear gas when they bombed us and that we and you see us going through their uh argument smoke everywhere and everything but dr king was being strong and dr king showed a great attitude and that he was a warrior and he was with us and understood it so then after they bombed us in in uh there we went to uh tougaloo and that night, James Brown came down at the end of the march and performed, came there in his jet and whatever and performed. But then um, the very next day, a lot of people came down and they called for white people to come back on the march. And when the white people came back on the march, they came down there with American flags. And I went out and told, you can't come on here with no American flag. You got to take that. And that uh, I started pulling flags. and any of them tried to stop me from getting it, I had a group with me. I just bust them in the nose or something. Give me this damn flag, and took all the flags and took them over there and threw them in a a ditch and threw uh, some gas, some uh, lighter fluid on them and set them afire. fire. And then the press tried to accuse me of desecrating the flag. I said, "Damn the flag," and uh, whatever. But then black power was out there now. And when black power got out there, the next big thing with black power was Detroit. Detroit city started burning. It started fighting in the streets and the crowd was black power. And they were burning down the city and the, the whole city was on fire. And they were crying black power. And they uh, bought in armies and they shot down over 50 kids and put 20,000 people in just round black men up, putting them in jail and shooting down. I remember seeing an eight-year-old boy laying in the streets dead. But they were shooting them down in the streets. The United States government gave orders, shoot to kill. And then the Black Power Rebellion started going up in Newark and in Watts and, and all over the country, the uh, LA and all over the country, every city began to go up and everybody be in the street saying, black power, black power. And all the civil rights people were scared to speak up, but SNCC spoke up. Uh, Stoke the Carmaker was the chairman and then HRAP Brown, they spoke up for the people. And when they spoke up, we black power, black power, black power, and that uh, we became known as this militant group and whatever. And now when we formed the Black Panther Party in our county, Alabama, the people in New York, Philadelphia and L.A. called and asked, can we form chapters? And we said yes. So we helped Hugh Newton, Bobby Seals and, 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 and those people in New York and other places form chapters of the Black Panther Party. So uh, we started the Panthers in Alabama. But then when we came and put them together, they called themselves the Black Panthers for self-defense. And when they called them, said we helped them get started, whatever. But remember, we would form organizations, and then when they get started, we step back and give them the leadership. Mm-hmm. So now the Black Panthers on their own, and we helped them. Matter of fact, we even sent them on their first international trip to Cuba, and what have you. And we inspired them to keep going. They were our little brothers, and they did a good job. And then. Rebellions breaking out all over over 125 cities on fire. And then after the cities caught on fire uh, and rebellion, black power, we began to talk about black is beautiful uh, and talk about our hair, how we had this beautiful African hair, African nose, African lips, and and, and beautiful skin and whatever. And we began to praise black women and black people And they used to tell us we were ugly because we are black and all that. we said bull. And we began to talk about that. We began the same songs about freedom. I'm black and I have beauty. What a rare thing am I to have curls like a lamb to be black and beautiful. And we made up a lot of songs and we began to talk about black power and whatever. But all that came out. Now, one other point that when we said black power, the first group to endorse Black Power was Fish University students. They came and met with us and said, We want a Black Power conference on our campus. And when they said they wanted a Black Power conference on their campus, we said, Yes. So we all went there and we went there for the conference, and all the leadership came from uh, the Black Panther, where well, Black Panther was just getting started. Uh, Eldridge Cleaver, uh, Kathleen Cleaver was there. And then Stoker the Carmichael, Rap Brown, but SNCC people. And the Tennessee State students, Fist students, and we came to have a conference. And then we talked about black power. And in the middle of the conference, the police shot a black man or a young man in the back of the head. Bullet went through his neck and came out through his nose. And that conference that word came in the conference. Police just shot somebody. And we got to the streets there were so many people out there rumming and throwing bricks and balls at the police, just like right now. And we went out there and first the people in the conference, they didn't know what to do. So they went out there and said, oh no, you can't throw bricks. And I went out there and all the ones, they were SNCC uh, youth group, and our college, yeah, student groups, I went out there and told him, said, wait a minute, you can't be saying to tell them not to throw bricks and balls. No, we can't throw bricks. I said, all y'all who said we can't throw bricks and balls, y'all fired. And all y'all who are throwing bricks and balls and fire bombs, you'll snick now. And I created a whole new style. And, but uh, the first school to go up in rebellion was Fish University for the Black Power Movement. And then at that Black Power Movement, our conference, we said we got uh, the students on these white schools, they got to do two things. They got to organize black student groups, and that gave the birth of black student unions. And we also, uh, on these white schools, because Stoker Carmichael, when he would speak, he would say, Y'all don't know your history. You don't know about Marcus Garvey, W. D. Du Bois, Paul Robeson. And he would name about, uh, uh, Leron Bennett, he would name about 10 books. And the students thought he was a genius just because he knew the name of five, six, or 10 black books. Because at that time, on all the schools, they were teaching about the colonialists, you know, uh, yeah. Lincoln, Washington, Jeff Pilgrims, and all those kinds of books. And then uh, in when they get international, teaching about Europeans, you know, coming to uh the great europeans and all these philosophers and all that and that uh and we didn't know nothing about ourselves on these schools so we demanded black studies or african studies and we went on those schools and started getting with those students and taking over administration building uh uh one school at cornell they took it over with had machine guns uh, Automatic rifle strapped around the chest with guns. We want African studies, but it scared this country so bad that they created African studies in all the schools in some form or fashion and gave it money, put millions of dollars in it, allowed people to take black studies and study in Africa, travel to Africa and whatever. But it linked us up. So that was uh, the birth of the black studies program that came out of the Black Power Movement too. And then... With black power and people fighting in the streets, anti-war movement, uh, we helped the Vietnamese defeat the United States. We began to learn about imperialism and colonialism and uh, even neo-colonialism, where they use your own people to rule and whatever, but hold guns on you and oppress you, where imperialism continued to come take your diamonds, your gold, your oil, your rubber, your zinc, and all the elements from your land. And that's what we exposed. And the countries that now began to speak out against that, we joined in with them. And we joined in with South Africa that was fighting against uh, imperialism, apartheid colonialism in South Africa. We joined in with Angola who was fighting a gun battle, I mean war, shooting down planes, Uh, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Guinea-Bissau, and a great leader there named Amaka Cabral had a group called the PAIGC. And then in Angola, uh, and, and, and in Filimo in Mozambique, and then Swapo in, in uh, Namibia, and all over Africa. Uh, we, we joined, Our movement joined in. They started talking about black power, and we started talking about Pan Africanism. And Pan Africanism was the philosophy that put us all together into one movement. Pan-Africanism says that all black people are Africans, all Africans are black people, and we'll never be free until Africa's free. And now we began to look at Africa. We knew very little about it before. They began to teach us that Africa is the richest land in the world, full of diamonds, gold, oil, rubber, zinc, tea, copper, pearl, cobalt, manganese, and millions of other natural resources. And all the natural, all the people Other world have to come, countries of the world, companies of the world, have to come to Africa to get the resources in order to have their imperialist companies. And we began to learn about economic system, capitalism, our economic system where the rich get rich and the poor get poor. Under capitalism, there are always two people, slave and slave master, oppressor and the oppressed, and a have and a have not. And that's what they create. And when it go abroad, it's imperialism, and it does identical the same thing, rape all the other territories, create wars, assassinate all the different leaders that try to help their own people, or don't want to go along with imperialism, want to do something to help their people. They assassinate them, drop bombs on them, like they did Iraq, like they did uh, Libya, and and like they're raping in the Congo, killing millions of people, and like they're done in Haiti, Right now, as we talk like they're doing it, they tried to kill Castro 80 times, they say, over and over again, because Cuba, a lot of black people, they're Africans, uh, and just very great human beings in Cuba, uh, they took over Cuba. And when they took over Cuba, they had a revolution. They had a neo-colonial, uh, Uncle Tom, that running the government. Uh, and when they took over Cuba, they, created a socialist society and when they created a socialist society they gave they took the, everything that the rich man had and gave it to the poor people they took the big rich hotels and put schools in the hotels so the women that was walking in front of that hotel as prostitutes and what have you and hustlers out there they told all of them to come into the hotel and put schools in the hotels and made doctors out to prostitutes, engineers, and extremely intelligent people, and gave everybody, every woman got free nursery for her pregnancy, free daycare, free schools all the way up through college and university, made doctors out of so many people, and then they uh, gave every to everybody live in the house, this is your house, and uh ain't no light bill gas bill water bill all this is yours and all our economy will go back to serve you and not to make one or two people rich and make billionaires but instead we will divide our economy up with you and castro said we will share our economy with other people in the world so they created doctors that will go all over the world and give people free medical care in different countries and help people solve diseases and crises and whatever. And then they took over the military bases that they left there, made universities out of their medical schools, and they bring people in from all over the world, uh, train them in the medicine in every country, black country and other country, train them to be doctors, great doctors, and then send them back to their countries to serve their people. And my son is one of those doctors and that he's a great. He's a great doctor. And it didn't cost one penny. So. now We began to see what imperialism is doing and that uh, they use different. They use bombs like the bomb Libya, which was a very rich and powerful country, very rich and that they wanted to unite Africa into the United States of Africa, create an African uh, bank print African money and get rid of European money uh, in Africa and, and, and make our money the most valuable money in the world bagged by pure gold. Since the gold and diamonds and coton is in Africa and back, let all that back our resources back our money and make it the most powerful money in the world. And the United States said no to that. And that's why Biden, Obama, Clinton, and the uh, American imperialists went and bombed Libya, killed Gaddafi and thousands of other people. And they still killed them. They're selling them into slavery and dropping bombs on them right now as we talk. And uh, this is the work of the United States. And also they did the same thing in Iraq, Syria. They are committing genocide on the Palestinians through Zionism they committing genocide on the people in Yemen right as we talk, dropping bombs on them. And they trying to starve the people to death in Zimbabwe because Zimbabwe was one, uh, Cesar Rose went there, killed over 65 million people, destroyed the whole country, put the whole country in slavery, destroyed the great Zimbabwe empire, robbed it for all these resources and, and, and made the African slaves there. But in the sixties, uh, they fought a revolution led by Robert Mugabe, and when they won their independence, they, white man, had all the land. One white man had thousands of hectares of land. I always divided, but extremely rich, and the Africans, who the land they stole it from, had no land. So when they fought a war, and won their independence. At some point, they say, we want our land. How are you going to fight a war and fight for freedom and let somebody else keep your land? So when they started taking and collecting the land, telling the white man you got to get off my land. And people started taking the land back and moving on the land. The United States and Europe were so mad that you took something back that the white man had stolen that they put embargoes on the country. Made it, told everybody, you better not trade with them and try to make it where they can't get food and medicine and the things they need to develop and survive daily, can't get in the country, causing millions of people to go hungry daily, causing millions of thousands of babies to die and uh, uh, daily. And this is what they're doing. And they're doing the same thing in Venezuela, Nicaragua, and anybody that wants their freedom and try to stand up United States put embargoes on them or they drop bombs on them. And they're dropping bombs all over the world as we talk today. So the United States is an imperialist power. Dr. King called them the greatest terrorist nation in the world, the greatest perpetrator of violence in the world, it's United States. United States is the number one gun runner. We ask, why are these guns in our neighborhood? Why are children getting all these guns from? But they putting these guns not only here, they're putting high-powerful machine guns and bombs in all the countries of the world, and they're creating a uh, uh, creating a, a circumstance where people don't talk no more and negotiate. Whoever got the biggest guns, whoever can blow up the most people and kill the most people, uh, blow up the most buildings, then they're the ones that rule and direct. So the United States tried to move through might so these people are international criminals so when we look at what's going on with us here uh we have to look at our people from a world perspective not in the united states because the united states is just a small area in the americas this is not america this is the united states that's in the americas and there are other maybe 100 different countries in the Americas and the United States try to dominate all of them, all of them. And they dominate them and train killers and military killers. They got a school in American in Fort Benning called School of the Americas. And this is where they train killers and military killers. And they go back and hold guns or blow up their country and take it over with the help of the United States and help the United States rob the people completely of the economy and be dominated by the military, completely dominated. And when they do that, uh, the people are so poor that thousands are leaving their houses because they never seen a clean glass of water, never seen a toilet, never had a, a, a good decent meal, warm, hot meal, or what have you and don't have lights no lights and whatever in the whole area for the people and no running water all these everything no medicine no schools and these people are, are, are being held down by militaries that the united states trained, democrat and republican or oh, uh uh this man in president right now he's doing the same thing trump did on the international level he just biggest criminal and here we all of them. Ain't nothing but criminals. They're part of imperialism. And the only way to stop them all over the world is revolution. If you don't make revolution, if you don't build your army, if you don't be a, organize your people, educate them, ideologically train them, take over the minds of your people, get all this colonial white racist philosophy that they pumping us through their schools, and other forms of institutions and televisions and other ways they brainwash us and keep us under censorship where we can never see and understand the truth if you don't re-educate your people they'll continue to fly backwards they will continue to do dumb things but we have to teach our people not to hate each other but to love each other to love your culture love your history love africa you're not dumb that's one of the things that black power came and kept pushing we got african philosophy african history going we started telling people about ghana and mali and Kemet and and zimbabwe and all the great kingdoms of africa and that once we began to show people that we had our own gods in africa we had our own religions in africa uh uh, yoruba and then uh the religions in kemet you know where they talk about uh i said uh what we call isis and Horus, osiris that was jesus before the white man come up with jesus and when we met jesus that from the white man it was a slave ship the name of the first slave ship to bring us over here was called slave ship jesus and that uh on the slave ship the condition was so bad we were in chain, chains on our neck, chains on our hands, on our feet, and we were laying there, couldn't move, and they stacked us on top of each other like you stacked lumber. And the first few people on the bottom, their guts was mashed out dead. And you had to stay chained to them for as long as it took a month or however long it took for the slave ship to travel across the Atlantic Ocean. Fathers would take and cut their take their fingernails and cut their baby's throat or their son's throat because they didn't want them to live with this colonial white man. Mothers would take and hold their children up and 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 uh and back their little baby's goose out. The condition was so bad that sometimes people would get a loose and they would jump overboard. Or they would take our little girls, rape them, take sticks and jog it up. And then throw them overboard and watch the sharks eat them and laugh. They went in and and uh, when they put us on those, uh, how you say, killed us and murdered us on the slave ships. They brought us over here and they sold us. These ain't not our names, Ricks and Jones and Smith. Whatever white man buy you, that's the name they gave you. And if you spoke your African language, they cut your tongue out. We come from Ghana and Mali and and, and great universities throughout Africa. And we could read, write, and very educated. But if they caught us reading, they would poke our eyes out. If they caught you writing, they cut your hands off. And these people inside of Africa went down through Africa, Cecil Rose killed. 50, 60 million people, and they made them work under and gather diamonds and gold and rubber, and when they gather all this richness, if you didn't gather they put it on ships and sent it to you. The poorest area of the world began to be richer and richer and richer off of what they were stealing out of Africa. And if the Africans didn't work hard enough, they cut their hands off, cut their feet off cut their ears off and and, and killed millions of people doing this, starving to death. The Rose Scholarship, the biggest scholarship the world had known, I think, the European world,
0: mm-hmm.
1: was named after Cecil Rose, a, a British killer, murderer. He killed 50, 60 million people in Zimbabwe robbed it for everything and then named the country Rhodesia and when he died he said i leave this wheel to educate little white children and so many white people go to school on that blood money bill clinton went to school on that blood money and that uh so we're africans and that we recognize that through all of what we've been through Right here in the United States, all the different movements gotta be linked together. We can't say black people in the United States. We gotta say Africans all over the world because we're not just here in what's called the United States. We in Canada, we in Brazil, 100 million more. We in Colombia. we in Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, El Salvador, the Caribbeans, we're in Europe, we're in the South Pacific, all down through the South Pacific. And the question is how do we pull these people together? And many people, Marcus, Du Bois, internationalism, uh, Pan-Africanism said that we have to come together, Pan-Africanism, find a way to unite all these people ideologically train them, build an organization, and we come together and began to support and fight together for the same thing, and Africa being the base land that we fighting for, we would be like China. When the Chinese came together, Mao Zedong put a billion together, and now they're together, they got a mighty army, They got a mighty economic system. They got a mighty culture. They got a mighty history and a strong ideology and a powerful military force that don't nobody wanna mess with. And that's what we have to do with Africa. We have to come together and do those kinds of things. And uh, I'll slow up right here because I think I talked a lot and I was supposed to wait on you to maybe <laughs> if you wanted to
0: well, actually, you know i I did have some questions prepared, but honestly, I was taught by my parents that sometimes well, most of the times in in my life, you learn a lot more just by listening, and I can't tell you the the wealth of knowledge that you just you just put on me today because it it was no no need for me to ask a question because you you gave me all the answers that I would have probably not even know that I needed. <laughs> Mm. So thank you.
1: Mm. Well, I tried. And uh, I thank you very much.
0: I love the timeline. I'm glad I didn't ask questions because if I asked questions, I probably would have missed something. So I really appreciate the timeline and and the continuation of the story as you told it. Mm. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much.